children are now dismissed at Junior Church. Mercedes, you can lead the pack. Uh, so children may go down to Junior Church. Please stay in that passage. We're going to talk about here for just a moment. I have a few things I want to do to introduce the passage, though. And um, first is, I'm going to turn there myself, actually. And um, Ken, if you want to go and send the slide up, I have a slide with just this verse on it. Um, it might be a little small for some of you, but it has the whole section that I'm going to talk about on one slide, so it can just stay up there through the whole sermon. I want to share a few little notes first. Um, one is, if you're one of the people that get copies of the sermons, it looks a little shorter today. Don't worry, it's not because it is shorter. I know some of you were concerned that the sermon might be... I don't, I don't, want, to, I don't want to cheat you. The sermon still will be the typical hour. Um, Anyways, what I want to try is it's a one-page front and back handout, and I just wanted to make it a little shorter and more concise. It's not every word I'm going to share, but um, I usually I write out these sermons a week or two or three in advance. Actually, I'm kind of OCD, so usually it's two and a half weeks in advance. And then I rehearse them the week of, read over them again and again out loud. But I don't make it my goal to stick exactly right close to the manuscript, and I don't want to be bound by it. I also get worried that some of you might be reading ahead and then not listening to maybe other things the Holy Spirit might prompt me to say. So those, that's a summary of what I have to share today. And if any of you want a copy of the, of the full sermon, or at least as it's intended to be, before I, before I deliver it, it does go on my blog, about, scheduled about 12.30 on Sundays. In fact, I'm considering making it a little bit earlier. And most all of you are on the internet. I know that because most all of you are on Facebook even. And uh, you can go there, and there's directions about how to get to the blog on, in our bulletin. I could point you there, and you could get the full copy. Also, for those of you not on the internet, you could call or stop by the church office Monday, and we could give you a copy. But I don't promise it's going to be the same as what's delivered. The sermon itself is online, uh, usually within an hour of, of the Sunday service as well. So I just wanted to share that. We'll try this for a time. If you don't like it, I'm sure you'll tell me, and um, <laughs> you're good like that. Anyways... Um, so anyways, that's that. I do want to, you know, celebrate one thing. If you, if you notice this past couple weeks, there's been a lot on the news. And, you know, there's always a lot of politics on the news. You know, right now the news is surrounded on, by impeachment stuff and things like that. But there is one thing, one thing in all the world that could take the spotlight off of the politics of the Democrats and Republicans. And I think we need to celebrate this one thing. Some two years ago, I think it was 2017, Amber was a police officer, and she entered supposedly the wrong apartment and shot and killed a young man. And she was arrested because she entered the wrong apartment and went in the wrong place. And this past week, her trial was complete, and she was sentenced to 10 years in prison for this murder. And the brother of the victim, the brother of the victim, I'm sure most of you know this, have heard this, the brother of the victim wanted to extend forgiveness to him. Further, he wanted to, he encouraged her, he encouraged her to accept Christ and trust in Christ as Lord and Savior, Savior saying that's what his brother would like. And further, he asked the judge if he could even hug her. And as they hugged, the court was silent. As he hugged, they embraced and they shared words. And then the judge came down and embraced them as well, embraced her as well. And then the judge actually went back to her chambers and brought back her personal Bible and gave the Bible to that former police officer. And that is awesome. That's something we should praise God for. Whenever forgiveness is extended like that, that's how Christians are supposed to be. It's not easy. It can't be easy. Can't imagine what they're going through. But that is, you know, part of living for Jesus every day. 
Now, having said that, let's make our way to 1 Chronicles 4, 9, and 10. You know, a number of years ago, it was a beautiful summer evening. I think it was August. It was starting to cool down. The sun was getting lower. And I took Mercedes and Abigail to the park. It was just me and them. And on the way home from the park, we decided to stop at this old graveyard on um, Beechwood, outside of Alliance, I think it was, this old church graveyard. And I wanted to show her some of the old tombstones. It's an old graveyard. And you could look at these old tombstones with the dates of, you know, going back 150 years ago, 120 years ago. And I wanted to point them out to them. And it hit me, um, it always hits me, but more this past couple weeks. You know that each one of those names meant something to somebody. Each one of those names meant something to somebody and hopefully, hopefully a whole group of people. You know, we might gloss over names when we read them somewhere in the news or in a phone book. or I know we hardly even use phone books. I just put them in the recycle bin when I get them. But, you know, uh, but we glance over names, but every name has meaning. Every name has value. Each name represents people. Each name represents important people. Each name represents people created in the image of God. Now think about that for a minute. Every one of you here, every one of us, we're all named. And we represent people created in the image of God. Today we come to a name in 1 Chronicles. A name. And this person was only given two verses in the whole Bible. But this passage is listed within the genealogies of 1 Chronicles. Many people may skip over these genealogies, but remember that these represent people. Sometimes as we read through the genealogies, we see extra detail, extra nuggets of information. And that's the case here. That's the case with Jabez. So my theme today is Jabez, the unknown who became well-known. The unknown who became well-known. And the application is to seek the Lord and dream big. Seek the Lord and dream big. We're going to talk about success in a little bit. And dreaming. Jabez prayed and prayed to the Lord and he dreamed big. And there's nothing wrong with that. It's commendable. It's commendable the way Jabez did it. So look with me at 1 Chronicles 4, 9, and 10. Uh, hopefully, uh, if you're still there in your Bibles, that, I'm going to read it one more time. Mercedes did a fabulous job reading it, but let's read it one more time. Jabez was more honorable than his brothers. And his mother named him Jabez, saying, Because I bore him with pain. Now Jabez called on the God of Israel, saying, Oh, that you would bless me indeed and enlarge my border, and that your hand might be with me, and that you would keep me from harm. And it may not pain me. And God granted him what he requested. And that's the end of Jabez in the Bible. Jabez was a man of honor. First notice that. It says Jabez was more honorable than his brothers. There's two things there. One is Jabez was more honorable. And the second thing is his brothers were less honorable. And Jabez, it seems that he was a man of honor. So let's think about where we are in the Bible. We are in First Chronicles. The genealogies of 1 Chronicles are in chapters 1 through 9. And they are intended to show the chroniclers' own generation, now existing as a small province of Judah in the Persian Empire, that they are still God's people Israel and retain their central place in God's purposes for humanity. Recognize that. When you're reading 1 Chronicles, chapters 1 through 9, you know, when you're reading these list of names, all those names are people created in the image of God, and all those names are placed there for a reason. Israel is now exiled. They were exiled under Babylon, and now they're exiled under, under, under Persia, it seems like. And the chronicler is writing this to the Judean people, 
telling them and encouraging them and, and, and exhorting them that they are still God's chosen people. And he writes about that. So this now says Jabez was more honorable than his brothers. And we really do not know anything else about his brothers, but we do know that Jabez was more honorable. If you look at the names around Jabez, if you glance at the names around Jabez, we can get a little bit of an idea of where we are at in the chronology of the Old Testament, in the history of the Old Testament. And it seems that Jabez lived around the time of Joshua. Now, Joshua succeeded Moses. There's a book about the wars under Joshua. We're around 1400 B.C., around 1400 B.C. So this is long in Old Testament history. It was before the judges. It was before Samson. It was before David. It was before Solomon. It was before those people, around 1400 B.C. Chuck Swindoll helps us out with the, that word honorable. That word honorable is the Hebrew word for honorable literally means heavy. We use that same concept in English when we say, this is a weighty matter, you know? This is a weighty matter. When used of a person, it conveys the idea that he or she is impressive or noteworthy. So Jabez was more impressive, more noteworthy than his brothers. And of course, the reputation of an individual is of central um, importance in that time period, and even in this time period, do we seek to be honorable? I hope so. That's a positive thing. That's a good thing. We should seek honor. Do we care about things like honor? Do we care about our reputation? Now, we don't really need to care about our reputation if we're persecuted maybe for doing things God calls us to do, but overall, hopefully, we seek honor. We seek to be known as a dependable person, a hardworking person, a person that's ethical, a person that has integrity, you know, and so on and so forth. Next, it says that his mother named him Jabez because she gave birth to him with pain. Jabez means pain, and I'll share more about that word in a minute. It's kind of humorous. You know, names meant something back then. So she bore him with pain, so she names him Jabez. So basically, she's naming him pain. You know, and if you think about that, that's really interesting. Uh, Swindoll helps us with this Hebrew word once again, and, and he does it in a very humorous way, the way he opens this up. He says, the English rendering is Jabez, but the Hebrew is pronounced Yabates. Yabates. The second syllable sounds like the word Bates. His mother had the Hebrew word Atsav in mind when she chose her son's name. The term Atsav refers to anguish, intense sorrow, or pain. To arrive at his name from the Hebrew word, you transpose two letters. So get this. It's a pun based on sound play. This would be like someone who hates cottage cheese, which is made from milk crud. I mean, milk curd. <laughs> This would be like someone who hates cottage cheese, which is made from milk curd, saying, I don't prefer milk crud, thanks. They do a play on the word, they make fun of, they move the letters around. That's what his mom did. Somehow, his birth was associated with intense pain, though we have no idea of how it might have been. You know, was it the normal pain of, 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 of childbirth? Or was it some other circumstances surrounding his birth? Swindoll goes on to make the case that he could likely have been uh, born into a family in poverty. If you look at Jabez's prayer, it's not the typical prayer that a rich person would pray. It's a prayer that somebody in poverty would pray. We, we, I mean, the other thought is, maybe, maybe his father was dead. 
We see no record of Jabez's father. Maybe his father died in one of the wars under Joshua. Joshua was taking the people to war, to battle with Jericho and Ai, these other local cities. Maybe his father died in some type of a farming accident or another disease or something else. We all know what type of a stress uh, um, a, a, a childbirth can be, let alone a childbirth into a family with a single mother, especially during that time period. Imagine being a single mother during that day and age. So Jabez prayed. And Jabez's prayer is important. Jabez called. It says that Jabez called to the Lord. Who did Jabez call? He called to the Lord. He called on the God of Israel. This, this is important. Many times we may gloss over that, but this is important. See, you know, in that day and age, it was polytheistic. Poly being many and theistic has the idea of God, many gods. Even the Israelite people abandoned the God of Israel too many times. But Jabez called on the God of Israel. That's important. He called on the one Lord in God. Who do we call when there's a need? So I was writing the sermon and thinking it through. I thought about that Ghostbusters theme song. Remember that from some 30 years ago? When there's something strange in the neighborhood, who are you going to call? Ghostbusters. It goes on, I ain't afraid of no ghosts. Who are you going to call? Ghostbusters. Who do you call? I hope you don't call Ghostbusters because that's fictitious. Who do you call when you have need? Jesus, right? Do we call on Jesus when we have a need? We have the awesome gift of prayer. And when we do not pray, what we are saying is we do not need God. I'm okay on my own. I do not need God. We need to first and foremost go to God all the time. I heard somebody say this. I like it. We don't have to pray. We get to pray. It's a privilege to pray. It's a privilege to go to the Lord, God of heaven and earth. And I am sometimes frustrated because too many of us do not pray. And I preach every sermon to myself first. We need these healthy habits of spiritual disciplines. How is your time with the Lord? What's more important in our day-to-day -day life? Is it flipping on the TV once the kids go to bed or... The day's work is done? Or is it going to the Lord in prayer before anything else? What is the first thing you do in the morning? Is it go to your smartphone and check your social media or email or watch the Today Show? Or is it go to the Lord in prayer? Or is it breakfast? Or is it coffee? Get your coffee. But other than that, if you don't pray, you don't eat breakfast. Think about it that way. We need to be going to the Lord in prayer. Listen, the Christian life is about a relationship with God. To have a relationship with God, you need, to, you need to spend time with Him. We spend time with God in prayer and in Bible reading. That's how we stay in tune with our relationship with God. That's important. We need to call upon the name of the Lord. Too often when we have a need, we phone a friend. We don't go to the Lord. Or, or, or too often we go to Dr. Google. Went to the chiropractor the other day for back pain. They said, have you seen any other doctors about this? They said, no, I saw Google. But other than that, I didn't see anyone else. You know, too often that's what we do. We go to the internet. We start searching for whatever need is. We need to go to the Lord in prayer. Call to the Lord first. You know, I thought about that. Is then what, what, what often happens with our needs is we make them worse by not going to the Lord. We phone a friend and we go to friends. You know what we do? We, we, we talk about the negative. We think about the negative. You know you can gossip in your head. Gossip literally means idle chit-chat. But why do we entertain negativity in our head? I think we need to think about the positive. 
Assume the best. Don't assume the worst. Philippians 4.8 says uh, to think on whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute. If there's any excellence, if anything worthy of praise, think on these things. 1 Corinthians 13 is talking about love. And it says, love does not rejoice in evil, but rejoices with the truth. Love does not keep a record of wrongs. Every time you want to think a bad thing about somebody, go to the Lord in prayer. Every time you want to think about a bad thing about somebody, not, even an event, a trouble, a trial, a struggle, an anxious thing you're going through, go to the Lord in prayer instead. Meditate on a scripture passage. Take a picture of Philippians 4.8, save it as a screenshot on your phone, so that every time you look at your phone, you see that scripture passage. Put it, write it on an index card, and, and, and look at it throughout the day. Meditate on the scripture instead of on the negativity. Go to the Lord in prayer. That's what we see that Jabez did. Jabez made four requests, four requests. Divine ennoblement, divine expansion, divine empowerment, and divine enablement. That's how Chuck Swindoll summarizes them. He asked for blessing, what, is some, what some call divine ennoblement. Divine ennoblement. Divine ennoblement. And, and about divine ennoblement, Chuck Swindoll writes, first he asked for God to bless him. But this was no cliche, no ordinary request. The Hebrew reveals a deep emotion of his prayer with what scholars call a particle of wishing. This very rare expression, combined with the intense form of the verb, reveals a man desperately wanting something. As a result, the request, bless me, is doubly intensified so that it becomes, bless me with overwhelming blessing. That's what Jabez is praying. Bless me with overwhelming blessing. Remember, he likely came from poverty in his past, so he's asking the Lord, bless me with overwhelming blessing. He asked for what we might call divine ennoblement. The Hebrew blessing is no insignificant matter, as it is very closely connected with God's covenant with Israel, which will become clear in the next section of, um, of this passage. All Hebrew people desire this covenant blessing, but the request by Jabez was different. In effect, he petitioned the Lord with, bless me with uncommon blessing. Lord, break through the cloud that has covered my life, from the sorrow that surrounded my birth to the limitations that I have endured all these years. Make my future a contrast to my past. Give me a giant stake in your covenant with my people. He's appealing to God's covenant with Israel. You hear that? He's appealing to God's covenant saying, give me a giant stake in your covenant with Israel. Next, Jabez asked for divine expansion. He asked that the Lord would expand his borders. Remember, he may very well come from a family of poverty and pain, and this prayer may show that. Here he, is say, here he is praying that the Lord would bless him by expanding his borders. And that was a typical Hebrew prayer, a typical Hebrew prayer. Expanding his borders is helping the Hebrew people. Chuck Swindoll shares, make, make no mistake, though, enlarge borders in the ancient world meant greater wealth, higher standing in the community, more power and increased responsibility to the Lord and the community. Land was wealth and much more. Jabez called out to the God of Israel to make him rich and powerful. This was an over-the-top prayer by a man with a genuinely sanctified ambition and great hope. That's how Chuck Swindoll summarizes that. Now remember, we are in the Old Testament, not the New Testament. And in this case, expanding the borders is more for God's covenant with the Hebrew people here. Third, he asked for divine empowerment. He asked that the Lord's hand be with him. The Lord's hand was a symbol of power, strength, and control. Jabez was asking for the Lord to be with him. And Jabez's last request is similar to the third. Jabez asked that the Lord keep him from harm. 
and not cause pain. Now, remember, Jabez's name means pain. So Jabez asked that the Lord keep him from harm, and in contrast to his name, don't let him live up to his name. Keep him from pain. And you know what it says? God answered his prayer. I want to take some applications. The applications this week might be a little different than many of them. As we look at this, we see that Jabez was honorable. Are we pursuing being honorable? And first and foremost, being honorable to the Lord, seeking the Lord's ways, you know, seeking his view of integrity, the Lord's view of success, the Lord's view of ethics. Are we seeking honor? It is important that we call upon the Lord for help as well. I've already talked about that application. Are we seeking the Lord for help? Are we going to the Lord? Are we active? Not just we need help. Because, you know, sometimes we, we, we think of the Lord like a genie in a bottle, right? Sometimes we think of the Lord like Aladdin's lamp. Go to the Lord all the time. Don't just pray when you need something. Pray to be in a relationship with the Lord. Seek the Lord and listen for the Lord to speak to you in prayer and through his word and through his people and through the church, which would be his people. Seek the Lord. Notice that success only comes from the Lord. We must remember that. Success only comes from the Lord. By the way, it is good and okay to be successful in what the Lord calls us to. Sometimes maybe we think that we can't pray for success. There's nothing wrong with praying for success. If you are following the Lord's will, why wouldn't you want to be a successful doctor if that's what the Lord calls you to? Or a restaurant owner, or a salesman or woman, or a custodian, or a, or a retail cashier, whatever. It's okay. Pray for success. Seek the Lord for success. That's honorable. But remember, God's view of success may be different than yours. God may allow you to suffer, and he may allow you to suffer and even ordain your suffering so that, so that you or those around you would be built up, sanctified, growing in him. You know, I have to share this example. Dr. Brown was the president of Cedarville when I was there. He's now the uh, head of the Coulson Fellows Program, but he used to be at Bryan College, and they had a special conference, and for this special conference, they invited a special speaker. And for the special conference and the special speaker, they gave a special theme. This special speaker was supposed to come and talk about a certain theme. Well, the speaker came, and the speaker got up to share, to preach, and he said, the Lord has laid on my heart to change the message. And the speaker did not talk about the theme that was given at that conference. Dr. Brown was thinking, sure, he got busy. He just pulled something out of a file. And he thought that for about nine months or six months until they were doing some building campaigns on the campus. And one of the construction workers asked to see the president of the college, Dr. Bill Brown. Dr. Brown went to see the construction worker. And the construction worker said him and his wife, they were about to leave on the mission field. But some six or nine months late earlier, when that conference was going on, they were going through difficulties. They were about to go through a divorce. And they both went to that conference, though. And at that conference, the Lord spoke to them through that message. And the Lord convicted them both. They healed their marriage, and now they're going as missionaries. We never know how the Lord is going to do what we think we need to do, how he's going to use the things that we, that we do for his glory and his purposes. Remember that his view of success may be different, but it's okay and quite honorable to pray for success as you seek him and follow through with his will. Now I want to share some applications that Chuck Swindoll makes. He says, a, a small struggling start does not necessitate a limited life. Just because you have a struggling start does not mean you're going to have a limited life. 
Second, no measure of success. No measure of success is safe without God's presence and power. We need God's presence and power all the time. Third, when God prospers and blesses a life, no place for guilt remains. If he prospers and blesses a life, no place for guilt remains. The challenge is to dream God-sized dreams. I like what Chuck Swindoll writes right here, and I'm going to share it. He says, let me make all of this personal. Could it be that your current vision, your present paradigm, has been shaped by the restrictive demands and limitations of your original setting? Could it be that the influences that give your life order and comfort are the very things that hold you hostage? bound to a certain way of life or a certain way of thinking? Could it be that you have not broken free simply because the thought of breaking free hasn't occurred to you? Have you asked the Lord to give you a vision far beyond your current borders? Why not? It's okay. Ask the Lord to give you a vision beyond your current setting. That's awesome. That's what the great missionaries throughout all of history have done. That's what the Apostle Paul did. He said he wanted to take the gospel to Rome and then to Spain, and he likely might have even made it to Spain. He definitely made it to Rome. It was God's vision. That was success. In his book, Beyond Jabez, Bruce Wilkinson shares the story of an old African woman who demonstrated faith in God's power to provide. Although she lived in a tiny mud hut, she had taken on the responsibility of caring for 56 orphans. This African woman living in a tiny mud hut was caring for 56 orphans. And listen to what God did. A small group of Wilkinson's Dream for Africa volunteers had arrived in this, in, in, in this grandmother's native Swaziland to plant gardens. On the final day of their visit, they came upon her tiny home, surrounded by the many children in her care. A number, listen to this, a number of little gardens had been dug up all around the hut, but oddly... No plants were growing in any of them. They dug holes for gardens all around the hut, but nothing was planted in them. The volunteers learned that earlier on the same day, the woman had told the children to dig lots of gardens. The woman told the children to dig lots of gardens. She had no clue that people were going to come to visit her. She just told the children to dig lots of gardens. When the children asked her why, since they had neither seeds nor money, she responded... Last night, I asked God to send someone to plant gardens for us. We must be ready for them when they come. Last night, she had prayed for God to send somebody to plant gardens for them. They must be ready when they come. Wilkinson's volunteers had come with hundreds of ready-to-plant seedlings. God sent them to the very place where one of his servants had begged for his intervening hand. The faithful grandmother and her children were ready when the answer came. Praise God. So, we see throughout the scriptures, we've seen throughout the scriptures the last few weeks, that God does not have a, the, the God in his word does not gloss over the sins of his people. We've seen Israel divided. We've seen um, David's own son, Absalom, try to take over the kingdom. We've seen lots of little troubling situations. And we'll see more. But right here... We see two verses that highlight a godly man, an honorable man, seeking the Lord. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I pray that we would all seek you. That we would all seek you and that we would all follow you. And of course, the first step in that, Lord, is to surrender our life to you and make you our Lord and Savior. Lord God, if anybody here has not surrendered their life to you, may today be the day of salvation. May today be the day where they firmly make the decision to be with you. In order to become like you and to learn and do all that you say... 
and then arrange their affairs around you. Lord, help us all to arrange our affairs around you. Help us all to make you Lord of our life, to be followers of you, committed to you, surrendered to you, and not fans. Help us to be like Jabez, where we seek you in our need, and not just in our need, may we seek you every day in an active relationship with you, making the decision to be with you in order to become like you, to learn and do all that you say. And then, Lord, may we arrange our affairs around you. You are Lord, and there is no other. May we walk out of this place, surrender to you. In Jesus' name, amen. During this closing song, if the Lord has stirred your heart and you would like to go to him with prayer and you would like to come forward, the altars are opened up here. If you would like to come forward and pray just alone, you can come to this altar on the right side of the sanctuary and you can pray alone. Just on the right side, we'll leave you alone. If you would like to come forward and you would like to bring somebody up with you and pray together, come to this altar on your left side, the left side of the sanctuary. Or if you'd like one of the elders to come up to pray with you, come to the altar on your left. Let's all stand up.